I do remember the Youth Tank protest. I was mm. down there protesting. We got tear gassed um, and sprayed with water pretty quickly. Like they turned violent super, super quickly. This time, these like this year, every time that they almost turn violent, they don't. I mean, there is some some stuff. Don't get me wrong. There has been some. Um, when you see what happens in, in Iraq and Iran, we're lucky. We don't have 500 people who died be protesting, just trying to ask for the rights. Every time that it's not violent, every time that no one dies, every day that actually no one dies, like it's a little miracle. MJ Daoud co-founder at Lebanon Facts. Before the Houston protest, I wasn't living here. I was living, mm. um, I spent two years in the U.S., so I had lost touch with whatever happened. Right. So when I came mm. back from the U.S., mm. I was like, oh, wow, um, what happened? Like, when I left in 2013, the country was going through a crisis, mm. but it was kind of still manageable, or I don't know, maybe I was getting used to it. I don't know. But then living two years in New York where... Everything goes so fast and, and progress happens on a daily basis. And then I get back to Beirut and we can't have our trash picked up. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, the trash problem in New York is also a very big problem, but it's it's a, it's a different, different kind yeah. of, it's more of a mentality. It's more of a mentality on how to deal with trash in the U.S. and also some structure stuff. Um, yeah. But here it was like, I mean, come on, we know how to deal with it. We trash thing is like seriously, we can't even sort out our own trash or pick up our own trash or mm. like that was for me. That was the time when I'm like, if our politicians are not able to collect trash, what are they here for? But I like that you 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 came back mm. and were dissatisfied with the local issues. Yeah. Before that up until 2013, did it affect you the way it affects you today? Because I, the corruption level has been horrible for almost decades now, right? Yeah. So the corruption, we got used to it, unfortunately. But did you sense when you came back the same kind of uh, anger that you do now? And was it there before you left? Because I like what you said, that we got used to a certain level of dysfunction. Yeah. Did it Did it maybe affect you more with those two years abroad and then coming back? Oh, definitely. Mm. Um, because I could see the potential abroad. I could see what we could do, right? I could yeah. see how fast the world was going mm. and how we were definitely not going anywhere forward and we were definitely going to sink <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Um, it affected me a lot in 2015. I actually had to leave the country uh, because I couldn't stomach it. Like, literally, like the, not literally, I had to leave. Um, you left following the the, the, the trash crisis. Mm. Like 2015, came back and I had to leave like one month or two months later. Focus has become so inward. Yeah. And I don't remember a time that it's been that focused on local issues. And I, I mean, because mm. these other demonstrations, even though there were local components to them, that in particular the Ustink movement, yeah. But including March 2005, there was a local element to it. But it seems like this one is purely about accountability. True. Um, so before the U.S., I, I lived here from 2009 to 2013. I was a journalist at Le Commerce du Levant, right, covering economy and business and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And already... I, I think that's how we met, because you... Yes. Yes, yeah. Actually, 
No, we met with Walk Beirut. Okay, yeah. I did a tour. Um, oh, okay. And then maybe I interviewed you after. Maybe, I, sure. yeah. I think maybe I did that. That sounds right. That was, that was not for <laughs> Le Commerce, that was for Lorient Le Jour Junior. Right, I was in the kids section. <laughs> <laughs> you were. That was, that was that well respected. So we're going to put you in the. <laughs> it's the Walk Beirut stuff. Like, sure, they sure, have sure, the interesting. Yeah. I mean, sorry, but Lorient Le Jour Junior has super interesting stuff. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I'm glad. I'm honored. <laughs> well, I trust it was okay because you were the one writing it. So I assume, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I'm you actually know. not sure because I think you were one of the first people I interviewed. So <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is we met before all this happened. Yes. Okay. Um, and I do remember my editor-in-chief saying, we have a problem. Um, we're not investing in, on, in our infrastructures. We're not investing in, in basically sustaining mm-hmm. our, this, uh, this country. And yeah. even though it still functions now because we have people who are sending money from abroad or because... Mm-hmm there is some legacy, at some point, it's not going to function anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe that this is what's happening right now. It's not functioning anymore. Like, it's Mm. been years since we haven't invested properly in anything related to infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Like, even telecom, which is kind of working, is not working as well as in other countries. Right. Um, It's quite telling that that was the final, you know, trigger. (laughs) because Right, yeah. Yeah. If these protests work if they succeed we have a beautiful opportunity to try stuff right, yeah, right? That's to true. create things um, yeah. nothing's going to be perfect let's be clear but I mean come on we, we're in in a country no in a region and even in the world where we are ruled by fear like fear of yeah. the other fear of extremism fear, fear of religion of etc we have a beautiful opportunity to try to create something not out of fear but out of we have a small country let's make it function because seriously it hasn't functioned for the past 30 years so yeah. let's do something yeah um, yeah that, that's totally idealistic I know but it's the opportunity is here and it exposes how fundamental this stuff is it's just basic necessities mm-hmm. I think um, it was shared all over social media and on the news that what flooding looks like in Beirut <laughs> I mean it's uh it's but it's been the case for the past 10 years absolutely and it's you know it's been the case probably even longer mm-hmm. but just the fact that the fact that we got used to it and now we're not we're maybe noticing we're noticing it maybe in, a, in, a, in how bad it got over time mm-hmm. but that kind of one that's a way for me to address what you do and I've enjoyed talking to I'll use this term carefully alternative media sources I don't know if that's the actual term well, as long as it's not mainstream, it's alternative, apparently. Oh, that's, so. that's the only insult I could say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's funny. I was trying to be extra careful. Turns out that's, okay, that's, that's the swear word. That's okay. fine. Alternative media in all its aspects, whether it's citizen journalists on the street who have no credentials, they're right. just there with their phone, whether it's something a little more structured like Megaphone, mm-hmm. um, or it could be even Mashallah News, and we talked about right. that before. Uh, I want to maybe get your perspective on the way the average person is getting their news and do you think that is part of this story that people are able to see instantly how bad things are all the time and that maybe that wasn't so accessible before the the flooding images i, I mean help me with this the the first time i remember watching these kinds of images was i think on just local news at maybe small intervals it wasn't uh, it wasn't nearly as dramatic 
Okay. There's almost like a footnote of the story that there was flooding in parts of Beirut. And that could be maybe 15 years ago. Okay. And not that long ago, these were kind of suddenly in your phone that you can watch this. And now it's not just that. It's that we're all sharing this all the time with each other. So it feels like it's a 24-7 uh, data feed that we're always sort of immersed with data. Do you sense that that may have pushed people to expect more in a shorter period of time? That now when there's a flood, whether it's in Beirut or elsewhere, that people express their disdain faster and they, they can point the finger quicker and everyone's kind of in on it together. It's almost like a... It's a bubble. Well, there's some... It's a bubble, but it seems to be an... Whatever online power means, it seems to be a fairly effective bubble at, at spreading an idea and getting a message across. True, but it's been the case... Um, it's been the case since actually Facebook started, kind of. Hmm. Uh, now it's even faster because everyone is on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. Don't forget WhatsApp. Absolutely, yeah. Um, WhatsApp has been crucial for, for this revolution. The feeling that I have is that these images are being shared to highlight or to pinpoint stuff that we already believe in, right? Mm. So mm. we're sharing images of the flooding because we want to show that the government hasn't done everything because we want to show that the government hasn't done anything for years, and right. that's actually a very simple way to show it. And, and that's proof, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that, for example, this kind of flooding, as Soraya, my partner, she's not here, but 2012, first rain of the season, she got stuck yeah. in the tunnels of Nabatiye for seven hours. Yeah. So these happened before, right? Oh, sure. Uh, I think they've been happening for, we were for, for a very long time. Since the Civil War. <laughs> True. But yeah. what changed today is the interest of people in this. Hmm. Is I don't know. I feel that there is um, a whole blaming of the government that's happening these days, which hmm. is a good thing. <laughs> Let's be clear. But is that um, because alternative media is now part of the story, that there is a way to blame local leaders that wasn't... Easily before. accessible before. There is one, that, that's for sure, yes, because mm. you couldn't do that on TV before, that's and clear. WhatsApp is as neutral of a body as possible. Sure. I mean, if people are being blamed, it's, it could be the average person mm-hmm. or it could be somebody high up the chain. Totally but, true. Yeah. No, no, definitely, like, because local media is owned, at least all, most of it is owned by politicians or businessmen, right? Sure. So you couldn't, you couldn't really do this kind of thing. I mean, you could, there has been some attempts. Um, but it's not as effective as showing a video and having people just go emotional on it, right? Emotions right. are a huge part of the narrative these days. Not one TV station could have come up with Kelloniani Kellon. No, that's people in the street. That's, and that's citizen journalists, yeah. I think. I mean, that's literally just a group of people communicating yeah. a message. So that's the... Do you see it as a political part of the story? That the Kelloniani Kellon? The means to media that... We can now, all of us can share a video of the flooding and blame yep, people. The, the, the people or the person that we couldn't easily do this before. That's empowerment. That, that's basically empowering people with, mm. um, with finding proofs or showing stuff, right? Mm, mm. Uh, and telling narratives that they were not told on social media, uh, on, sorry. On traditional. On traditional media. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you can. Social media allows you to create 
or show the narrative that you want to show. And it could be an experience that you're living every day that no one covers, that's for right, sure. Right. Uh, it could also be used from the other side to manipulate and misinform. Right. The other side here meaning the... People who... The status quo defenders and... Yeah. yeah. So, but doesn't... I, don't, I mean, you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, that their understanding of social media is curtailed a bit. If you talk to Jean Assier from Megaphone, he will tell you no. That he'll they, he will tell you that they have an amazing mm. understanding of social media and that the message that they're putting, especially through WhatsApp, mm. are really well t- tailored. That's interesting. So their their ability to use WhatsApp is is apparently higher than ours. I wouldn't have even guessed that. But that's Jean who says it. Um, I mm. haven't. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But what I do believe is that if we are really good at using WhatsApp for our own purposes of Like, for example, I have groups, we share a lot how to help, who, who you can help, um, yeah. look what happened here, and these are facts about corruption and stuff like this. If we can do that, there is no reason that the people that we don't agree with um, cannot do the same things, because it's right. very intuitive. Like, WhatsApp is Zeps, and WhatsApp relies on emotions. Um, it's like you share something that's yeah. striking, and then this, we all function in the same way. Let's be clear. And mm-hmm. your own personal contribution to this sort of narrative... Um, what took you from commerce, business, journalism, to, in a sense, in a way, storytelling, mm-hmm. not traditional sort of boring uh, news of the day? Um, I, to me, there, there's like a almost a nice sort of jump from boring news that we need <laughs> that's important. They're depth, very important. Very yes. important. In depth, in depth economic, yeah. let's say, uh, information. That is maybe sometimes lacking too much, and maybe it's not too central. It should be, but from there to kind of creating narrative arcs and sort of re- reinterpreting the emotions and kind of taking them on it on, on your own uh, your own platform. What took you that way? I really loved working for Le Commerce du Levant because I actually learned about Lebanon in a way that I mm. would have mm. never dreamed of learning mm-hmm. about. Like in a funny way, I do believe that economics are business are fascinating um, and it's it's actually our daily life except that we don't understand the whole concept and the whole mm. thing right yeah. um, and working as a journalist allows me to ask questions to understand this kind of stuff um, and try to make sense mm-hmm. of it um, problem with traditional magazines writing is that it's very dry So not a lot of people would read what you what you write. Mm. And even myself was like, ah, sometimes I used to read, I mean, sometimes I read the articles I used to write before. I'm like, it's very factual and it's really well researched, mm. but it's not interesting. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's, it's yeah. not, I really need to sit down and be focused, etc., to understand it. Because mm-hmm. it is almost like a research paper. It is it's, almost like yeah. a research paper and, and it's, And it's, that's the basis of journalism, let's be clear. Sure. Like, this yeah. is how we're supposed to start our work. Mm-hmm. When I went to the U.S. and I actually studied, um, did a master's in journalism in the U.S. Where? Columbia, New York. The U.S. is big in, in storytelling. Like, the U.S. journalism is about storytelling. It's about mm. the human side of the story, mm-hmm. uh, about, about making something human so that people can relate to it. Yeah. So... That, for me, was first fascinating. Second, um, it reminded me of fiction, actually. 
And I used to love, huh. I still love fiction, and, and I used to love writing fiction when I was a kid. Um, so they encourage you to write as if you're writing a, like a prose as opposed to just... They encourage you to write with em- with emotions. Um, hmm. So it's very structured. Huh? It's, actually, yeah. it's actually very processed, and it's... Um, it's a very rational process on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how to include emotion into a very dry article so that people can relate to it and can be compelled to read it, etc., etc. Um, it's a process that takes time to master. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's unrelated to your previous work here. It's unrelated to my previous career. Mm. I mean, it's still journalism, right? But it's journalism... Right. It's human-based journalism, I guess. Or it's. Huh. I wouldn't even know how to explain it, but it's... Instead of starting an article with um, 50% of the population lives under the poverty level, which already is like, oh my God, you start with this year, this this week I couldn't buy food for my kids mm-hmm. and I'm heartbroken. So they would encourage a more human... They would encourage a more human component to yeah. the story in a very structured and processed and rational right. way, in a way. So that was the, U- the US, right? So mm. Th- Was that something you found appealing as, a, as somebody who would stay in that career, did you find that to be so, a... Yeah. I'm a nerd for facts. I love hardcore facts. Uh-huh. But that's efficient. Mm-hmm. Telling a story mm-hmm. in a human way is efficient. People relate. People mm-hmm. care. People will... Um, like you're more... You do journalism because you want to change the world. Let's be clear. You're more likely to change the world if people care about your story. Mm human stories are a way to make them care about stuff that they don't care about. And Lebanon Facts would start when you came back? Kind of. So I came back, I left, and I came back. Mm-hmm. And Lebanon Facts started when Soraya came to me, and she's like, hey, we're both journalists. We, don't, we both don't like the news here. Why don't we start our own newspaper? Okay, so you, but you wanted that human component to be central to the story. There was a deliberate attempt to move away from traditional reporting and, and okay so that was really that was the big no-no don't do traditional reporting, reporting. Um, like we started on Instagram we literally started on Instagram only when we started London in fact I was really passionate about the innovation part of it about hey let's change the way we tell stories we don't need to write 300 words because that's the only space we have <laughs> maybe we can write 800 so maybe we can we only right. need like five i don't know yeah. and images and, and videos and stuff like i was really interested in the innovation part of it hmm. um, so social media from the beginning from the beginning we started on instagram and then facebook that's going back 2016 17 2016 may 2016 may, may 2016 your first post is on instagram yes i you know i to me it's still astonishing to hear that because I know that that's become the norm, mm-hmm. but I still find it a bit bizarre that uh, a, a, a news outlet, quote-unquote, starts on Instagram. <laughs> and, and we didn't have a website for two years. Wow. That's that's incredible. So your in-depth reporting would be just the text of the post? Or then you would... Would you use Facebook for that? Or is it simply just Instagram? So it's Instagram, Facebook. It's, it's almost the same content for... Hmm. Actually, for... for um, how do you say that? For resources reason. Like, we don't mm. necessarily have the time to do different stuff, mm. but also because it functions. Uh, right. Um, but the in-depth reporting, so we started doing in-depth long-form investigation in 2018. Uh, so literally, you just put the photo, write the post, and that was it. That was yes. your reporting. Yeah. So really, the phone became 
Everything? No, it was uh, still a computer. Okay, but because you, it's, yeah, but, sure, sure. But everything is meant to be read on social media, on social which media. meaning yeah. on phone, because I think it's 80% of the readers who mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. checking their social media on, on phone, yeah. Right. Is there a financial model that is secure and, and depending on Instagram no and I'm curious because on Facebook no. I, I don't correct me if I'm wrong there's no financial reward for Instagram or there's very little so there is mm. um, but it depends how you, so it's not traditional stuff right it's not it's not based on clicks or no, whatever it's not based yeah. On, yeah. what it is based on is actually on a mix of uh, reach and engagement and stuff like this so mm -hmm. to give you an idea um one of our sources of revenue is actually we produce content for NGOs or actually people who want to do good. Right. Okay. And we offer them to publish their stories on our platform, so Facebook and yeah. Instagram. Yeah. And this space, which is kind of like an advertising space that we call the great sponsored content, mm. this space is valued by Instagram and Facebook, not even by us. Um, right. I mean, not exactly by Instagram and Facebook, but by softwares who are linked to Instagram and Facebook. So that would be like a, a, a later date return on that like it's not something you cannot calculate that from the beginning and say no, we're going to get and this yeah it changes on uh, a core it changes um, so when your reach increases when your engagement increases etc this value changes mm. but you basically have tools to uh, to let you know how much um, a page is valued right, right. and these tools are public so the, mm. the clients can see them interesting right. but that was understood from the beginning that that was going to be if there's a revenue source, it would come from that kind of... So when we started, started, started in 2016, we didn't go that far. Like, it was a side mm. project mm. and we were like, cool. But kind of nine months or six, yeah, nine months or one year uh, working on Labna and Fast, we were like, okay, what now? Yeah. If we want to make it grow, we need to find a revenue stream. Right. And that was one of the first one, yes. You know, I'm asking you the fairly personal questions about this. Because the passion is clear, right? Everyone I've met in this world is very determined. What I don't understand really is the financials. <laughs> and because traditional media has that in the back, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's like a default that there is a revenue stream just from traditional advertising. Does that, in a way, is that looked at, is it frowned upon in, these, in this alternative media world that we don't want to go that route? We'd rather be... I think you have more a, independent and I think you have people who would argue for and you would mm. have people who argue against it, mm -hmm. it really depends on your model and what you're trying to do mm. um, traditional efforts I mean as long as you have people who pay to put some content in your page um, if these people are powerful I, if these people are powerful yeah. they can put pressure in terms of editorial on you right right Right. Uh, but this happened with traditional media and this or, happens also with new ones like that that's right it's like having a company when you have sure, people who put yeah. in money they have some power mm -hmm. so investors are investors doesn't Invest mean yes yeah okay so what's important is that either you have a variety of investors aware of what a media is and basically they let you live mm -hmm. either you have a variety of media with different sources of income right. and then you can have like more global perspective. And I always thought that was the role alternative media was, that was the gap alternative media initially was filling, was the areas that traditional media could not touch. Yep, that's true, kind but, of. But at the end of the day, the same financial problem emerges, I, I'm assuming, that there's yes, it, going to be some politics involved. 
some politics, or you can go like to subscribers, right? So you can ask for 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 subscribers yeah. to pay. Um, so we're free. We're totally free mm-hmm. because we also do believe that if you make people pay for information, you actually create um, elites, uh, and you mm. you don't allow people who don't have money to have information mm-hmm. that matters for them. What we had in mind when we start when we started thinking about the business model is a mixed model like uh, the Guardian. So the Guardian is free for everyone. With and that very obvious uh, True, we're going to try not to make it that obvious. <laughs> but basically you have people who pay yeah. for... Or Wikipedia, stuff. I think, does it from time to time yes. as well, yeah. Mm. But they also have... They also produce content for others. They also have advertising. They also have a foundation. Like, they have a mix of right. revenues. And any... Even the New York Times or the Washington Post, etc. They like, every media has a mixed streams of revenue. And that's been almost the same since the beginning, at least for print media. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV is a bit different, but yeah. And there's no print version of no. Lebanese Fats. But I guess that's been a dying thing for everybody. It's not... Um... I don't know if it's... I mean, it is... I don't know if it's totally dying. Yes, it's not as big as it used to be. Yeah. But, but when... I don't know. It'd be but, very odd if you're protesting holding the paper. <laughs> that would be a beautiful way to protest. That would be... Yeah. It would be... <laughs> People put their phones down. They take out the newspaper. <laughs> we can create a revolution like this. Well, but, yeah. You might end the revolution <laughs> by accident. Yeah. yeah. Women are front and center of this movement, and women are front and center with or without the movement. But this movement, they are at least superficially, right? You see it on TV. You see it on social media. Women are playing a big part. Can you imagine? maybe years from now, let's be a bit pessimistic, not months, not weeks, years, that simple things like nationality issues or divorce issues, things that affect women first and foremost, do you think these are going to be changed for the better anytime soon? And I'm wondering what kind of achievements biggest population in Lebanon can hope for in, in, the, in the near future? I mean... Let's be clear, I'm extremely privileged um, in terms of my education and stuff like this. I was privileged in terms of, for a very long time, I never felt discrimination as a woman uh, in this country. Like, I, I even felt pretty privileged. Like, let's be clear. Like it's, as it's, a woman? As a woman, for a very long time. What do you mean by that? I, I could work wherever I wanted. Um, I never faced at least in Lebanon, sexual harassment, as I could have faced in New York, actually. Huh. Um, like, obviously, there are people catcalling in the streets, etc., but it's not the same level of harassment or actually of danger than the one that I lived in New York or in Paris. Um, like, I was less... You felt safer as a woman here? Than abroad. Yeah. Okay, and, that's interesting. And, that's, yeah. and I'm including Paris and I'm including New York. Um, mm. No, actually, the Arab world was pretty safe for me at that time, but I was more like the GCC countries, etc. So at least on a social level, on a social level, there's a comfort. There is a comfort, and there is, um, like, I never felt discriminated against hmm. because I was a woman. Even with knowing that at least some of your rights are denied. Yes. But you still felt. Because also, that. I have a very supportive family, hmm. Um, hmm. and uh, who, who's very. I have a very supportive family who never told me I couldn't do something because I was a woman, right? I have mm. two brothers, so anything that my brothers did, um, if I wanted to do the same, I could. So, 
I'm, I'm sorry for bringing up the, the go-to example, but let's say you were to marry a, an American man and come bring him home knowing that you cannot have Lebanese children. Yeah. There's nothing that that protection could do for that. Because that's outside of that whole... True. But those issues did not affect you personally at that time? No. Okay. No, yeah. they didn't. Um, but I, this is why I say I'm privileged. Like, yes, because yeah. I have extremely supportive family. Yeah. I had supportive friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a bubble, right? Yeah. But then, then actually what happened is that I became a madame. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. But that's actually true. What do you mean? In this country, I reach an age where basically um, people, like men, etc., call me madame, not mademoiselle anymore. The whole level of respect I got just by being a madame, even though I don't, I'm not married, I don't have kids, but, right? But the whole level of respect I got when I turned kind of... 38, 39, 40, etc. Just by being a madame was mind-blowing to me. I'm like, oh... Respect in a, in a good way? Or in, in a, a ba- good way. In a good way. Like, when I asked for something hmm. at the bank or in the office, not in the office, uh, in a shop or whatever it is, it's like no one tries to argue with me, no one tries to flirt with me, no, no one tries to convince me that my decision is not good. I was like, hmm. wow... Um, Life became easier in a lot of small details. Like, mm. um, I got a respect that I never had before, but that I never realized that I didn't have it before. Which it's very subtle. But that sounds more like a, like a, almost like an honorary title. You know, it's like a, you mm-hmm. are now you've yep. you've reached adulthood. Yeah, and, and I procreated, and I have kids, and I did my duty. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. yes, but but okay, I'm gonna ask it a different way. These things, I think, they seem to be enshrined, whether it's economic prosperity or economic decline, whether the country's at war or at peace. Uh, what you're describing, at least to me, without being a woman, seems to be intact, that women are given that kind of respect. After a certain age. But then when I rea- what I realized with the second part of it is this respect is actually confined to a woman's place. We started a company here. Try dealing with the banker for the company. Try dealing with the lawyer for the company. Try dealing with men, actually, who tell you how to do your job better than you do it. Um, so try, the, the business aspect of being a woman... Yep. Try getting a loan when you actually don't have properties in your name mm-hmm. because the properties mm-hmm. go to men, even yep. though you had the equivalent in, in um, oh, money uh, in or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. This is... Um, even though I'm extremely privileged, I still don't have the same opportunities that men can have because I don't have access to property, because there is a certain level of condescendence towards women. Um, like, that's cultural stuff, right? I like these examples more than the, the traditional examples. No, 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 not that one. I meant, I mean, divorce is messy for men and women. Yeah. Maybe a little messier for women. Um, the nationality thing is a problem because that's that's basic, right? Your nationality is not passed through you. But I like these examples of just day-to-day uh, affairs of wanting go, to do your job or... You go to a bank, you ask for a loan because you want to create your company. Mm. They ask you for collateral even though they're not supposed to ask for collaterals. Mm-hmm. You have nothing in your name. And this, in your opinion, is only because you're a woman. That's basically the that's gender is the issue. Yeah. That's literally because... like. I, in all fairness or whatever it is, like in this country, 
men are supposed to inherit properties and women get the equivalent in money um, if the family's fair. But something easy like that, right? Mm -hmm. The way you're treated as a woman and you're being pressured to do more than your fair share, is that something that this revolution can change? Is it even in the mix? Because it's not privileged women that are on the street. No, it's everyone. It's everyone. And maybe it's even, maybe the privileged are less visible this time around. It's just the average person. Yeah. Average meaning economically. Uh, there's no, there's nothing, uh, these are not the wealthy elite. Yep, right? It's woman, period. Uh, for having talked with a lot of women entrepreneurs, because you have more mm-hmm. and more women entrepreneurs, these women tell you, no, how do we get the money? How do we get, yeah. we don't have property so that we can back up our stuff. Mm. That's a real problem that mm. we're all facing. Mm. Um, and apart from the respect, because respect is also a perception, kind of a perception sometimes um, so that's also different right that you can fight your way through through respect you can you can do stuff well I meant respect at least in terms of the bank would not be prejudiced against you for being a woman that they would say no she has the means therefore she can do it I meant yes. respect in, in the, in the lowest form meaning this person has income and assets therefore we can do business yeah no because we don't have collateral yeah so that is foundational problem that's a foundational problem i mean they're not supposed to ask for collateral in the first place that's the real problem but you somebody let's i mean your example right Mm -hmm. you're a self you're a self-made person man or woman i mean you're not um you went pursued your education came back and wanted to start something on your own with a friend you're not really demanding much no right if you have the income if you have the assets you want to start something it shouldn't be that complicated now you managed, you did it anyway. Mm. Can you see something like this being easier a few years from now for someone in your place? No, that requires a change in culture mm. that takes time. Um, so this is not necessarily a cultural revolution for... for I think for it's the start of one. Hmm. Um, I really think it's the start of one, of one because it's women asking for basic rights during these protests and there were many women, like, it wasn't just some active, I mean, just some activists. It was just not the regular activists who were down in the streets. We were so many women asking for just basic rights. It's yeah. a change of mindset. At least it's the start of. Um, not saying that we're going to have results in some years mm. or in two mm. years or whatever. Mm. But when you talk to young women these days, um, there are a lot of them are aware of this because actually they see their mother um, struggle with this, right? Hmm. You have more women hmm. my age now that are trying to work You're and make it. You're being a little it. too hard on yourself. <laughs> we're, the, we're the same age. We're not old. Actually, I think I'm a bit older than you are. I mean, in the, we're in our late 30s. I'm a bit older than you are. I was are. trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> very late 30s, yes. We're, young. we're very young, but but, so. but but here, you're right. The youth factor is astonishing. The yeah. average, at times, the average protester could be half our age. Oh, yes. And, it's, and they're, they're more excited than we are yes. for the moment. But you see it there that these, let's say, these men and women, mm. that they can translate this to political power for women. Slowly. But surely, hmm. but slowly, <laughs> but surely. Yeah. Um, it, there has been, but the change is not just like coming just from the protest out of the blue. It's also like yeah. women getting more educated for the past years, and hmm. also women hmm. 
working more than before. Yeah. And yeah. in a way, like when you're a woman That's and a and yeah. you want to work in a company and they actually pay you half of what they pay their your your male counterpart, or they don't even give you a job because they expect you to get pregnant and forget about the job. Yeah. At one point, you want to go and create your own stuff, even though it's a small like one woman shop. Yeah. And then you realize that it's actually more complicated for you than for your cousin or whatever, or you actually need the help of your cousin and because he's male and he can help you with that. Yeah. These are women basically my age and a bit older, etc., who are now raising the next generation and who are aware of this very small practical stuff, not talking about the big respect stuff mm. that I talked yeah. about before. That's very theoretical, but practical stuff. I don't have collateral. So again, the real problem is that banks are asking for a collateral and that should change. Yeah. Um, but because of what happened, like it's... But I like that you're describing women being raised by women who, mm -hmm. who are the, the leaders in that era, right? I don't think our parents are the pioneers in women's employment in Lebanon. It's really our generation that decided yes. to push against that. Yes. The younger generation is used to it. They take it for granted. Mm -hmm. And I think going over and over this conversation the last two months, I really think it is the young generation that doesn't have the concerns that we had. Definitely. And that seems to fall into everything. Economics, politics, gender, gender increasingly, like you said. And I like your reservation about time. I agree with you. This is a slow-moving It's a very slow-moving step, yeah. but I mean, it takes a generation, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, you're the facts of Lebanon facts. Although Lebanon doesn't strike me as emotion, per se. It's just something you eat, and it's... Yeah, but it's emotion. It's like, Lebanon is <laughs> Lebanese. It's the thing that you miss most when you travel abroad and stuff like that. The this. facts you try to forget when you leave, just how bad it is. <laughs> Come on, it's good. <laughs> Although the, the diaspora seems to be as excited, if not more excited, about what's happening about facts and you said it earlier that you're a fact checker by default and you take it seriously mm. this world mm. of alternative media it's a self-regulating ecosystem yes. where people are doing it on their own they're vetting themselves they're vetting their information as much as they can it's almost like a it, there's no way to do it except you have to make it a principle No one's telling you otherwise. And yet, Megaphone has a post on Instagram. Lebanon Facts has a post on Instagram. Some random site has a post on Instagram. To me, as somebody not well-versed in the journalism world, they still have the same weight. Unless I have an emotional tie to that name, Megaphone or Lebanon Facts or any, anything, it could be even bigger, New York Times, right? Washington Post and some odd site that has a post, I am still going to look at that other site and I'm going to digest that information. And if I'm careful, I may, may be extra cautious with the information, but usually I don't take the time to be extra cautious. Once I've digested that information, it's sunk in. And As a fact checker, as somebody who takes facts seriously, I'm not asking you to, you know, you're not, the obligation is not on you, but because you do a self-proclaimed fact checker, is it something that can be remedied in, in a way that at least the consumer has a way to 
at least catch what could be erroneous, what could be not, not fake news, but let's just say not well-vetted information, that it's just loose information, and it's information that I could produce. I All I need, and you said it, Instagram, all I need is a photo and some text. Yeah. I'm a journalist, and at the same time, I'm not. So what... Not the producer, the consumer. In your opinion, what are ways to at least turn more into the more honest than the chaos of the internet? That's the billion-dollar question. Um, And that's a question that every media is asking themselves, at least in the developed world these Mm. days. There is a huge problem of... Um, people not hmm, people not knowing how to read information. Mm. We have a problem of actually education of the public to journalism, to basic journalism. Like, yes, we produce journalism and we have some rules in terms of how we produce this, but people are not aware of these rules. The, the content producers. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's... As a journalist, mm. they, the... First lesson, I mean, basically, as a journalist, yeah. is basically an inf- a fact is confirmed. Like, a fact to be true, to be considered true, needs to be confirmed by two independent sources. Mm-hmm. Okay, two sources who don't know each other, who don't belong to the same party, etc. Yeah. First rule. Otherwise, it's not a fact. It's something to be checked or to be verified. Yeah. Second rule is, um, I mean, sometimes one expert is enough, but yeah. Second rule is you put context into all this. Right. Right. And journalism hasn't changed since the dawn of time. That's basically the job that we have to do. The thing is, today, very often you don't see the sources mentioned in any article. I mean, the New York Times still does the effort, the Guardian also, etc. But on social media, you don't have space to put the sources, like very basic stuff. Or you don't take There's the no time to... There's no pressure to put sources. And there is no pressure to yeah. put the source. And people are not aware of this, right? Right. So... What happens a lot on social media, but also with traditional media, who, who's not very, who doesn't function in a very ethical way or a very proper way, is that people are going to trust writers or journalists or some or someone that they know. So yeah, so so what happens a lot on social media, but also with traditional media, is that people are going to trust journalists who actually say stuff that they kind of already agree with. We, we like to be challenged, but just a bit. Hmm. Like, you you cannot... It's actually very difficult to have a conversation with someone who really doesn't agree with you. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, and I mean, seriously, yeah. you, you can't... And then, as a media consumer, as someone who, who consumes, like, information, when you will have um, information or an, a piece of news that contradicts your view on the world, and actually it's more... They, that contradict your moral values of hmm. the world... Hmm you will not believe it. You you will have yeah. all the mechanism like coming here and basically telling you that this is bullshit. Right. Um, and there is a word for this. It's, I think it's called moral foundation theory or moral values uh, theory. It, it's, it's, really, it's actually fascinating. It's about how liberal and Democrats um, have very strong values that they kind of understand the word with. And if things are against these values, they're going to 
react very violently kind of um, towards the, these things. So there is there is a whole theory about mm. that, but what I'm trying to say is that as consumer of information, we will be very quick to find information that validates what we believe in and very quick to dismiss information that doesn't validate what we believe in. Yeah. And we do that whether we're for the Thawra or against the Thawra, right, like from right. both both sides, right. okay? Um, and that's basically media education. That That's basically first learning how to check if this is information or opinion, because a lot of people actually don't know the difference between information and opinion. And second, mm, yeah. the values. What are your values? But the second one is impossible to I mean that that's an individual that's an internal struggle to reassess your values when you're looking at information that goes against your values that seems to be a uh, that's very hard it's very hard and maybe people don't maybe the average person who's just flipping through the news doesn't have the time or the patience to examine themselves at each instant the first one the first one how do you do it because I I mean to me tweets are tweets whether they're information or opinion and I think you correct me if I'm wrong there's no flagging for opinion mm-hmm. it's not like a no a lot of opinions are passed by like a, are, a lot of people pretend that opinions are facts and sometimes the consumer doesn't know better mm-hmm. or they just they think of it as content period yeah so is there a way for somebody who just wants to follow the news and especially at a time of emotion where in values are front and center. Is there a way for the consumer to sort of take a step back and look at data and and examine it? Or is it something that's just beyond an individual's control, that this is something that is bigger than one person looking at the news? It is, I believe, an issue of public education. Um, hmm. I mean... In school, you're in French and English and economics. You should learn media literacy. Which is not taught. Which is not taught. And, and, and I don't... I'm sure there are some countries where they teach it, mm. I, I think. But it, in this country, definitely not. You're not talking about university. You're no, talking no, no, about I'm schooling. Talking schools. Yeah. I'm talking like when you're 15 or 16, when you start yeah. to kind of understand the word, etc. Like there should be some very... Like, it's, it's not that hard. I mean, seriously, the... the yeah. The whole principles are very basic. It's just check the sources. Check the source. And then it goes back to, do you trust the source? And that's something different. But yeah. check the source. Because people these days have a trust issue with everything, right? But um, but at least that's the first step. Checking the source of a photo on Instagram seems so... It's very hard for me to imagine. Doing and it. Doing it. Even though I... I, I I agree with you that that's the effort one has to make, but picture of something on fire is going to impact me whether it's real or not. And if it is impacting me on something that I believe in or I'm against, it'll mean all the more. And that's it. The subtext is secondary. And I think that's an unfortunate contribution to, uh, to new media. Because that's, that's not alternative media. That's not citizen journalism. That's just technology has allowed us to communicate in, in absolute ways. In a very fast way with actually no, no, no time to cool down, actually. Right. Like we don't have time to go, we react with anger or with emotion, etc. Sure. We don't step back. 
We then yeah. say, who? Let's breathe first and then check. I've many times heard people referencing posts as opposed to news. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you said it earlier, WhatsApp is being used effectively. I was lucky because you invited me to a talk that you were one of the uh, one of the panelists talking about WhatsApp. I would never trust anything on WhatsApp. And that's maybe the only filter that I have. Thank you. I would Thank never. You. No, but that's WhatsApp is chatting. <laughs> chatting is all the BS you want in a chat. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I don't take it seriously. But it's startling to know that people are using WhatsApp for news. Yeah. Do, does Lebanon, in fact, turn to WhatsApp for, for news? So that's been on the... Uh, like we've been wanting to because you thank me WhatsApp. and I assume that's <laughs> thanking me as in it's not it's a, it's a good thing that you're not thing. trusting anything yeah. that you have on WhatsApp that you get on WhatsApp <laughs> um, WhatsApp like we wanted to do something with WhatsApp um, like to share information like for example information from Lebanon in fact on WhatsApp to people mm. who would want to go receive information from us never done it for basically actually for resources reason like we never had the time to do that right also personally I don't check my WhatsApp anymore. Or it's not that I don't check it. Uh, I check... Um, I have a lot of group. Yeah. I right. Sometimes I don't even read what's happening in the mm, group. Mm. Like, halos. if anything is yeah. really important, I know that someone will tell me at one point. So there, it's interesting. There is an automatic line with WhatsApp. And maybe, maybe the majority feel the same way. That line is not including Instagram. Because I think Instagram may be a bit of a blurry... It's a blurred area. A photo like, on Instagram yeah. to me is more legitimate than a WhatsApp photo. But usually it's like... Uh, and then a WhatsApp yeah. story, for example. There is a validation stuff when you make it public. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same company. It's mm -hmm. all one company doing this. But the mind, I think, has a way of... There's something about WhatsApp that's just too loose. It's too... It's too much the jungle. <laughs> it's... It is a jungle. <laughs> it is a jungle, yeah. It's a frontier that's just boundless. Yeah. Let's project and say that this is the crash right now. In a couple of months, maybe a year or two, the economic pain will not be as acute. Yeah. Do you see the politics, the, the desire for political change diminishing as a result of economic growth? And what I'm getting at is I was very startled by this revolution mm -hmm. October 16 I was laughing at the WhatsApp tax it may have been what, October 17, 17 itself October 17, in the morning yes. yes October 17 the fires were enough to set people to, to ignite anger mm -hmm. and send people to the streets it didn't happen but the WhatsApp tax was the final point still still astonished at that moment Okay. And it may unfortunately be because the economic problem is so bad. But had it not been that bad, would people have demanded change the way no. they're. No, they wouldn't. Like, let's be clear the, the VAT tax, 10 to 11%. So there were some protests, right? Yeah. But things were not as bad. Yeah. They demanded a bit of change, but then, like, it. Like we've been when we started London Fast, the trash crisis, trash crisis. It wasn't. Yeah. But when we started London Fast, it was to actually inspire to do change. Okay, and before 
the revolution started, we were actually losing hope. Let's be clear. We were like, nothing's going to change this country. And, mm. and what do we do now on a personal level? Um, because it's actually pretty hope or pretty timing to work for change and see that nothing happens. Yeah. The, the, the level of um, apathy, kind of, or the yeah. level of yeah. people not moving was huge. And then WhatsApp triggered the whole thing, which for me was like, seriously, WhatsApp triggered it? Uh, but for my 20-year-old friend, they were like, no, but that's normal. Like, I always live with free communications. I cannot live without free communications. Um, hmm. And like, okay, hmm. if that's what it took to trigger it, I don't care. But at least now, because the situation is so dire, um, there is a bit of a hope for change, right? If something happens, if we get bailed out, etc., and in two years' time, will we have the same level of political engagement? I don't think so, because it's actually way easier to destroy than to build, right? Absolutely. And for better or worse, people were coping with the abnormal politics of this part of the world mm. for a very long time, in particular the Lebanese way of interacting, whatever you want to call it, power sharing, that people... There's, I mean, multiple generations have dealt with it. But the economic pain seems to be the core of the issue. Yeah. I'm a bit concerned about once things start improving that the appetite for change will just naturally diminish. The inertia will kick in. You said it earlier, you want a secular state. I mean, it's good to try something else. For, for at, I mean, if it's not going to be a sectarian state or if it's something in the middle or anything it's good to try something new because this model doesn't seem to work <laughs> even though power sharing may not be a bad idea and it's in its i mean the the motive is not corrupt the motive is actually an attempt and it was an old attempt it lingered mm -hmm. it seemed to satisfy enough people long term but if it's not working the way it was meant to it's worth changing but I can't see it, and I can't see people even thinking about changing the model if money is a little more available again. And I don't want to be too hard on the protesters because I know the protesters are doing it for dignity. Mm -hmm. It's more than just taxes and That's corruption; dignity. it's dignity. But I think that this is what happens with all protests or revolutions. It's mm -hmm. like usually from what I know, like, it's a conjuncture of stuff, like, right, the, mm -hmm. the, like, for example, in Lebanon, you cannot deny that the alternative political groups or the political activists of, like, these past years since the Ustink movement have been very active in terms of trying to change the narrative, trying to say, hey, the country, the politicians are corrupt, etc. But all this is not enough mm. if you don't have a crisis, if you don't have an economic crisis where right. people are like, let's go down in the streets, right? Right. Um, but then what happened, I think, with these protests is that people are really aware of how bad the situation is. And that even if you're, you don't want the system to change or whatever, I think that people are more aware than before that the politicians at least are corrupt. Maybe that the system mm. functions but the politicians are corrupt, I don't know. Um, which is a positive Which is already change. a positive change. Yeah, like, my communal leader is as toxic as that community's leadership. Or maybe not as toxic, but also a bit toxic, and that's not necessarily a good thing, because... Yeah. And that's already a good start. That's true, yeah. And that's already a good start. 
Like, yeah. I was I was startled by Tripoli. Tri- Tripoli seems to have done yeah. something really courageous. Mm-hmm. They were the first to say we're out. Yeah. Now yeah. I don't know if the rest of the country appreciated what they did as much because it seems to have different levels, different yeah. geographies. But Tripoli sort of raised its hand, saying we're ready. Yeah. And Nabati. Nabati did too. Very brave people dared. But that's a month and a half, two months ago. And now it's yeah, people are getting tired. Yeah. And this is basically like I think it's basic. Um, how do you say that? Management of crisis by for dictators or something like this. Oh, yeah, wait it out. <laughs> wait it out. Yeah. They have the means to wait it out. We don't. That's true. So the positive moment is that we're all looking inward and we're trying to hold our leadership to account. We're not afraid to call people corrupt. Yeah. Even when it has to do with the old way of governing, that sects can look at their sectarian leaders and say that they're as bad. Maybe worse, maybe better, but everyone's bad. That's changed. But beyond that, not much has sunk in. In terms of? Translating these two months of demonstrations into a different social pact. A new Lebanon, what revolutions do bring in a different country. The word revolution to me, and I'm embarrassed here, I have high expectations for that word, but I haven't scolded at For at the beginning, too hesitant to say this is a revolution. Oh, journalistically speaking, it's still not. I want this to be a revolution. This is why we're all saying louder. <laughs> yeah, and we're saying it wanting it. Yeah, but and it's I still not. Kind of like this whole time we've been talking, there's that quote that I've been rereading over and over. <laughs> Sorry. And it says, no, 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 because it fits the moment. Yeah. It says, create the things you wished existed. That is exactly what I see in the soda sign. In Ma- Martyr's Square, yep. the giant fist, the and soda lalwatan. That's exactly <laughs> what we want. And you know what? It gets burned down. We put it back, version 2.0. <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful, but it's also showing exactly how far we are from it. Because all it is is, is a sign yep. at the end of the day. And maybe it's in the right direction, but it's not there. We're, not, we're nowhere near the finish line. No, we're not. A revolution, technically speaking, is when the powers in place or the structural like the structure of the power in place um, gets changed for a long period of time. Like they get basically um, not destroyed, but get torn down and then overthrown and then something else comes into place and stays for some time. That's a revolution. So you cannot say that it's a revolution before it happened. You actually say it after. Yeah. I believe that one of the biggest misconception of change is that it happens overnight or is it happens fast mm. it takes a lot of time yeah uh, and the, do these revolts or protests or revolution of soda end up in basically overhauling the whole system right now and creating something new yeah. I don't know right mm. chances are not completely because mm-hmm. if, well first because uh, Inside, a lot of people are afraid of what would happen if yeah. we have something totally secular. And I can understand this here, let's be clear. Yeah. Um, but also because 
unfortunately, we're not the only ones deciding, right? Uh, and I hate the whole that's thing, true. like where it's the powers that, like the outside powers that decide. No, that's not totally true. But there is some truth in it. Like there is some pressure somewhere. If we have a government that doesn't agree with the interest of I don't know who, what will happen? Hmm. That's yeah. the question that I ask, right? Yeah. It's these kinds of moments where you can feel the wheels of history turning, but mm. they're not here yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you have new actors coming into place, kind of, because we still haven't seen a lot of them. Um, and you from, from the protests, you mean? Yes, and mm. from... I mean, just the protest or just mm. the street is a new actor. That's true. Right? That is true. A leaderless actor. A leaderless actor, but still a new actor. That's true. A actor that seems to have mm-hmm. some authority. Some. For the moment. Yep. Yeah. And who changed the rules of the game. That's true. Just a bit. Right. So, will the, this new actor, will he win the game right now? I'm not sure. Mm. Mm. But are they changing the game? Hopefully, yes. Yeah. Even though it will change in 20 years. Um, or five. I don't, we don't know. No one knows, which is pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> I think this is the first time I've seen a true individual citizenship spirit. Uh, yes, I agree. And it's and beautiful I, to watch. It's beautiful. And I know that people, when they're waving the flag, they mean it now. It's not just for show. There's some pride in being a citizen of this country, and I've, I've never seen it. And individual citizenship, as long as that's front and center to this story, I think it's the momentum will always be there. And uh, individual responsibility in a country like Lebanon is, I mean, these things don't go hand in hand. Communal fear, which is what you said, power sharing, the po- communal dealings, <laughs> That seems to be the story of Lebanon. And for the last two and a half months, the narrative shifted a bit. So long as they have the information necessary to punish local leaders for incompetence, for corruption, for thievery, for all the bad things that drove you away from this country, uh, which drove too many people away from this country, which unfortunately killed many people in Lebanon. I think uh, so long as the average Lebanese has the has the support necessary to challenge local leadership maybe maybe down the road that's the only way to get rid of what we're used to in this country that from the bottom up the best thing that happened in this whole rev- rev- revolt moment <laughs> movement was kellon uh, yani kellon that's the, the I, I love this yeah and if we even if we lose it even okay. if it doesn't materialize I think looking back on that, at least we know that we got it right. That yeah. we're all in this together. And yeah. it didn't turn violent. It didn't turn violent, yeah. And hopefully it doesn't. Mary Jose, thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. <laughs>